Okay, Kevin Michael Grace is back. He was banned by YouTube for two weeks. I guess it's his last strike, but he's back. Let's see what Tucker Carlson has to say. And we'll check in on Kevin Michael Grace. Good evening and welcome to Tucker Carlson. It's Happy Friday. We're going to bring you back to a story that we covered at the time, but whose significance we didn't fully understand then. And it's definitely worth revisiting. So just before dawn on November 4th of last year, a team of masked FBI agents wearing bulletproof vests showed up at the home of a journalist who works for the investigative media company Project Veritas. They pounded on his door. They said they have a warrant. Let us in. We know what happened because it was all captured on camera. Here it is. I'm sorry, so what is this regarding? This is a search warrant. Open up. So there's another team coming up. Yeah, there's a little spread out. Let me see your hands. Let me see your hands. It was serious. They had weapons. They barged in. They went through the whole place. They tore the journalist home apart. There's another team coming, they said. And they were right. Two days later, feds hit the home of Project Veritas founder James O'Keefe in Westchester County. So why were the FBI coming to the homes of employees at Project Veritas? What did they do? Were they involved in a human smuggling ring? Were they bringing fentanyl in from China and killing more Americans? No. The FBI believed that Project Veritas was in possession of or had information about a diary written by Joe Biden's daughter, Ashley Biden. The FBI claimed that diary had been stolen. We now know the FBI knew that diary had not been stolen, and it wasn't. But as James O'Keefe pointed out at the time, and didn't have enough people hear him when he said it, what if it was stolen? Having a stolen diary is not a federal crime. So what in that diary was so important that Joe Biden sent FBI agents to get it back? Here's what O'Keefe said. The tipsters indicated that the diary included explosive allegations against then-candidate Joe Biden. The tipsters indicated that they were negotiating with a different media outlet for the payment of monies for the diary. We attempted to return the diary to an attorney representing Ms. Biden, but that attorney refused to authenticate it. Project Veritas gave the diary to law enforcement to ensure it could be returned to its rightful owner. We never published it. Now, Ms. Biden's father's Department of Justice, specifically the United States Attorney's Office for the Southern District of New York, appears to be investigating the situation, claiming the diary was stolen. We don't know if it was, but it begs the question, in what world is the alleged theft of a diary investigated by the president's FBI and his Department of Justice a diary? So... Everyone in American media hates James O'Keefe because he covers them. So they ignored this story and they never answered the question. But the question hangs in the air and it's a real one. And we're quoting, in what world is the alleged theft of a diary investigated by the FBI? Why were they doing this? Well, the answer lies in what's in the diary. And now we know what's in the diary, thanks to a new piece in the Daily News, which has a copy of the diary. Josh Boswell is a reporter there at the Daily Mail. He broke this story and he joins us with the answer. Hi, Tucker. Josh, thanks so much for coming on. What is this about? So we've looked at the diary. Um, we've spent a, a lot of time considering carefully what to report from it. And um, what we've chosen to report are some pretty serious things that Ashley, the president's daughter, wrote. 
she wrote that she was musing over whether her father was sexually inappropriate with her when she was a little girl. She mentions in the diary showers with her dad. Um, she also talks about them being probably not appropriate. Um, she writes that down on one page in her diary. And she also refers to being hypersexualized at a young age. There's a lot of references in the diary to her um, repeated uh, spells in, in uh, rehab, her um, relapses with drug abuse, alcohol, and sex addiction as well. And there's some truly kind of shocking things in there as well about how Joe cried. He, he was brought to tears over worry for his daughter um, just before a democratic primary debate. So we can now know, because of this diary, that there are several things that would be extremely important for national security. They not fall into the wrong hands, for example, the Chinese, right, or, or the Russians, who could use this as blackmail if it wasn't published. So that's why we decided to put this out there and why we think that it's important that the American people know this. Well, it's, it's prima facie shocking. I mean, fathers don't shower with their daughters at an age at which they remember it, uh, of course. In your reporting, did you see any potential, and I know this wasn't the focus of your piece, but potential crime that would justify a pre-dawn knock raid by the FBI? Yeah, this was um, an area that we covered in, in our reporting. We really wanted to find out how did the diary get from where it was to, um, you know, to being published online. And it was left by Ashley in a house that she stayed in for a while after she came out of rehab. And then the next person who came to that house found the diary under the bed. And they're not actually being investigated by the FBI for, for stealing it. They're being investigated f for selling it. So I don't know if that justifies a dawn raid on, on the people who got hold of the diary, who bought it from them. But the person who found it, she is being uh, investigated for selling it. That's the, the alleged crime that the FBI are looking into. Yeah, which is not a federal crime. Josh Boswell of the Daily Mail. Great to see you tonight. Thank you so much. Thank you. So we're going to recap a lot of what you just heard. This has been out there for a while. It should have been the focus of a lot more attention than it has been. We hope to change that. So here, once again, are the words from Ashley Biden's diary. Quote, I have always been boy crazy, she wrote, hypersexualized at a young age. I remember somewhat being sexualized with a family member. I remember having sex with friends at a young age. Showers with my dad, probably not appropriate. So Ashley Biden wrote this in the context of her struggle with sexual compulsiveness in later life. And she attributes those compulsions to the fact that her father took showers with her in a way that was, quote, not appropriate. Now, we have no reason to doubt that what she wrote is true. She did not write this for public consumption. She wrote it in a diary that, as you just heard, she accidentally left behind in a halfway house in Palm Beach, Florida in June of 2020 during the presidential race. The woman who took the room that she left, a single mother, found that diary under the bed. Now, if you are the father of daughters, ask yourself, is there any explanation for that behavior that is justifiable? And there's not. It's sick and it's horrifying. Now, Ashley Biden doesn't say how old she was at the time she showered with her father, but obviously she was old enough to remember doing it. And by the way, little kids don't take showers, they take baths. Inappropriate showering with your own daughter? 
If that's not child molestation, it is definitely close enough to justify a police visit. But the police have not visited Joe Biden. They're not investigating this. Instead, the FBI is breaking to the homes of journalists who brought it to public attention. And now, according to the Daily Mail, again, you just heard this, the feds are investigating a woman called Amy Harris, who had the misfortune of finding the diary. To be clear, none of these people committed crimes, certainly not federal crimes, and yet they are being harassed and tormented by federal law enforcement because they embarrassed Joe Biden and spilled very dark secrets to the world. And the effect is to intimidate everybody else in the media out of covering it. And that's why you're not seeing media coverage about this anywhere. It, it's enough to make you reassess stories that you have read about Joe Biden in the past that we probably didn't take seriously enough. But in light of this, we take them very seriously. In the run-up to the last presidential election, several media outlets did run stories, and they included videos and photographs and firsthand testimonials that documented Joe Biden's habit of touching young women, often in ways that made them visibly uncomfortable. A lot of people laughed this off. It doesn't seem quite as funny now. You're seeing a small selection of those pictures on your screen right now. In a particularly creepy picture from 2015, Joe Biden leans in uncomfortably close to the daughter of Senator Chris Coons of Delaware during a signing-in ceremony. Joe Biden would also frequently comment on the physical appearance of very young women. Here's just one example from May of 2019. What I'm going to do, if you give me a dress, I'm going to write you a longer answer and tell you the exact things I would do, okay? R okay? Promise? I'll bet you're as bright as you're good looking, I tell you. <laughs> to be clear. Joe Biden has not simply over the years and recent years been accused of making women uncomfortable. He has been accused of rape. You remember that a former Biden staffer called Tara Reid, whose story, again, we probably didn't take seriously enough, alleged that when she was 29, Joe Biden pinned her against a wall and penetrated her. Now, she was immediately attacked by Democratic partisans. You're a liar because it, actually they don't believe all women. But then a phone call, a contemporaneous phone call that Tara Reid's mother made to the Larry King show corroborated the fact that happened. She said her daughter had left Washington because of the actions of a, quote, prominent senator. Now, at the time, the media just buried the story or laughed about it. Joe Biden responded by promising to be more mindful. And that was it. This is from April of 2019. I've always tried to make a human connection. That's my responsibility, I think. I shake hands. I hug people. I, I grab men and women by the shoulders and say, you can do this. And, and, uh, and whether they're women, men, young, old, it's, it's the way I've always been. The social norms have begun to change. They've shifted. And the boundaries of protecting personal space have been reset. And I get it. But I will be more mindful and respectful of people's personal space. And that's a good thing. That's a good thing. I've worked my whole life to empower women. I've worked my whole life to empower women. I just care too much. That was his explanation. And a lot of people bought it. But now that we know that he behaved in such a way that his own daughter believes made her sexually compulsive in later life, which is a classic symptom of abuse, it's time to reassess this. As Joe Biden said the words you just saw, his own daughter, the same daughter's life was collapsing. She was campaigning for him as she was going to rehab. And it's worth noting that right after Joe Biden's apology came out, yet another woman publicly accused him of sexual misconduct. That woman is called Vail Conert Young. And she said that when she was a White House intern, Biden, quote, put his hand on the back of my head and pressed his forehead to my forehead while he talked to me. I remember he told me I was a, quote, pretty girl. So at this point, no more benefit of the doubt. This man is a creep. Well, Biden was doing the same thing to his daughter in the shower, was he? 
We know that he showered with her in a way that she felt damaged her. If there's anything that deserves an investigation, it is this. But of course, the FBI is not looking into it because Joe Biden controls the FBI and said they're trying to cover it up. And by the way, this is at least the second time that Joe Biden has used the FBI to hide drug abuse and allegations of sexual misconduct with minors within his own family. And both those stories came out this week. The FBI also swooped in when Hunter Biden violated federal gun laws and was accused, according to his own text messages, of being a, quote, pedophile by his girlfriend slash sister-in-law, someone who presumably would know since she was within the family. Of course, the FBI never charged Hunter Biden with anything and said they hid the existence of his laptop for more than a year, despite the fact that laptop contained evidence of multiple felonies, not least numerous FARA violations. And FARA is a law that the White House now tells us they're enforcing with maximum vigor. But here, the president's son, for years, represented foreign governments in Washington without registering as a lobbyist. That is the definition of a FARA violation. Has he been charged? No. And instantly, the FBI still has that laptop. They claim they've been investigating it for years now. They've done nothing with it. And while the feds kept the laptop locked away, Joe Biden told us with the back of the intelligence community that it was all Russian disinformation. We are in a situation where we have foreign company countries trying to interfere in the outcome of our election. His old, own national security advisor told him that what is happening with his buddy, well, I, won't, I, shouldn't, well, I will, his buddy, Rudy Giuliani, he's being used as a Russian pawn. He's being fed information that is Russian, that is not true. Ask it. I have no response. It's another smear campaign. It's right up your alley. Those are the questions you always ask. So to be clear, at the moment that Joe Biden was telling the country from the debate stage that that laptop was, quote, Russian disinformation, the FBI knew perfectly well that it wasn't because they had it. And they knew it wasn't Russian disinformation, as anyone who looks through it for about 15 seconds knows it's real. And they knew that. But there was not a single leak from the FBI saying, actually, candidate Biden, you're lying. So there are two big points to take away from this. The first is Joe Biden should not be running this country. No one who has run his own family in this way should be in charge of anybody else. His behavior as a father is truly dark, even by modern standards. Biden should explain immediately why he inappropriately showered with his own daughter. He should be asked that at his next press availability. His chief of staff, Ron Klain, who runs the country, should be asked, you work for a man who showered with his own daughter and by her own account distorted the rest of her life because he did. How do you feel about that? And at that point, Joe Biden should resign and at the very least spend the rest of his life trying to repair his own children who need it badly. And the second point to make is that Biden is using the FBI as his personal secret police, dispatching them forward to crush and intimidate and prosecute people who get in his way or his family's way. Maybe that's not surprising from a guy who spent his entire life living off taxpayers. He believes he owns the Department of Justice, but he doesn't. And the fact he's behaving as if he does is scary as hell. We cannot let the FBI become enforcers for politicians and their families. If we allow that, it's the end of everything. Harmeet Dillon is managing partner of the Dillon Law Group. She represents Project Veritas in this case. She joins us tonight. Harmeet, thank you so much for coming on. Thanks, Tucker. So we spoke about this when it initially happened. But it's ever more clear that Project Veritas 
and, and the woman who sold the diary committed no crime, certainly no federal crime, and that Joe Biden is using the FBI as his personal secret police, and no one is saying anything about it. Absolutely right, Tucker. And when you look at the search warrants that were served on our clients and executed, each of the four claims involves the word stolen, possession of stolen property, uh, conspiracy to transport stolen property across state lines and so on. All stolen, 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 stolen. But guess what? All along, as we said, and now as the press is reporting independently, nothing was stolen in this case. And so that begs the question, how did the FBI get search warrants? How did multiple judges, by the way, sign off on search warrants, not just for the property that they seized, but for months beforehand, emails, 200,000 of them? And the answer is, somebody must have lied to a gullible or willing FBI who then passed on those lies to federal judges. Uh, who are those people? Almost certainly members of the Biden family and their legal representatives. And so once we finally shut down this abusive uh, investigation, get our property back and see what was in those search warrants, which by the way, the ACLU and Reporters Committee for Freedom of the Press have filed applications for, then there needs to be a criminal investigation into the lies told to our federal law enforcement and get to the bottom of that. And that is relevant to how the Biden administration is weaponizing the DOJ and how powerful lawyers in New York City were able to call up the DOJ and simply run roughshod over the protections of the First Amendment, the Privacy Protection Act, DOJ regulations, and common law protecting journalists. Tucker, as you pointed out, so what if the property was stolen? From the beginning of this case, the DOJ knows that it is perfectly legal for journalists like James O'Keefe from Project Veritas to run with stolen property and publish it. It's protected by the United States Constitution and the United States Supreme Court. So this should never happen again to any journalist of any political persuasion, Tucker. No, of course not. And I'm, I'm waiting for the first brave reporter to ask the question that must be asked to Joe Biden, which is, why did you shower with your daughter in a way she described as not appropriate in a way that she believes made her sexually compulsive in later life? Why don't you explain what that means? I think we have a right to know. Harmeet Dillon, I appreciate all the work you do. Thank you very much. Thank you, Tucker. We've got a Fox News alert for you. So, this is almost beyond belief, but just before this show aired, we learned that last night, producers for Stephen Colbert's show on CBS committed insurrection at the United States Capitol. Adam Schiff, the congressman from California, who has spent the last year and a half telling you that unauthorized violations of Capitol space are a coup, Adam Schiff illegally gave producers from CBS access to the Capitol. And then the group, which includes the show's senior producer, a director, a comedian, and a writer, remained in the Houseworth, Longworth House office building after hours. And the point of them being there was for them to harass sitting members of Congress. Marjorie Taylor Greene, Lauren Boebert. U.S. Capitol Police say they got a call about a disturbance at about 8.30 p.m. They told us, quote, responding officers observed seven individuals unescorted and without congressional ID in a sixth floor hallway. Officers then arrested them and charged them with unlawful entry into the Capitol complex. Now, that's the exact same charge that many January 6th defendants face. We'll just get right to it. It is likely that some members of Stephen Colbert's team will be held in solitary confinement for a year and a half without being charged. Why? Because this is an insurrection. And actually, joking aside, how could they not be held for a year and a half in solitary confinement without being charged? Because the precedent is in place. And 
How in the world can Adam Schiff, again, who spent the last year and a half eliminating the civil liberties of Trump voters on the basis of January 6th, do the exact same thing and not face punishment? We're going to tell jokes about, oh, it's like Pearl Harbor. No, it's exactly like what happened on January 6th. So we'll take a close look at what the punishments are. Liz Cheney, call your office. You've got another committee to impanel. Adam Kinzinger is crying at the thought. We'll stay on the story. Well, Senate Republicans are joining with Democrats right now to confiscate your firearms when leading Republican from that group just admitted he does not care about gang violence or murders in cities. That's where all the murders are taking place. But John Cornyn of Texas says straight out, I don't care. That's not the point. The point is to take your guns. We'll be right back. Wow. That's uh, that is some Tucker Carlson segment there. Who's reporting on Ashley Biden? Okay, Florida woman who found Ashley Biden's diaries under investigation for selling it. Okay, I mean, how common is it for for fathers to to take showers with their daughters? I, I would I would think that wouldn't be too common. I mean, there's a lot for me to get my head around. What are you, are you still uh, toying with the idea of the puppet act, or where are you telling me? Oh about... no, no, I, uh, why you want to hear that guy? I, I just remember you telling me you were working on a ventriloquist act. Yeah, we don't call it puppet act, but thanks a lot, man, for the respect. <laughs> <laughs> the new thing, the new thing is. As you call it the puppet act, we call it <laughs> ventriloquism. Oh, I'm sorry. It's like I, didn't want, post- I didn't want you to be slumming there. It's kind of postmodern ventriloquism where the he almost uh, the act almost uh, you know talks about the, the the non-existence of the you know he he cops to the fact that it's an inanimate object. Ah, like You've heard that a reductivist approach. To yes, and they've also I've noticed they've exchanged. You know, they used to just have the wood, like you, your joke would work, the lathe, back in the, in the late 70s when you told it, right? But now, <laughs> they've replaced the, the Charlie McCarthy's with these giant, much more likable Muppet-type characters. Oh, right, right, right. Right, so it would be like a... That's uh, Noah McDonald there on the Dennis Miller show. Man, I, I wish, wish Noah was still with us. So, Kevin Michael Grace is back. So he was banned from YouTube for two weeks, and then he was sick, but he's back, and the title of his latest stream, episode 498, is Walking on Eggshells. Okay, so uh, as you probably know, I was uh, suspended uh, from YouTube for uh, two weeks. Uh, And why is that? Uh, Apparently, uh, cyberbullying I was accused of, and it uh, may have been about comments I made about a uh, recently uh, convicted uh, infamous person in British Columbia whose name I'm now afraid to mention. Well, any one of the three names that this person has uh, used. So obviously I'm going to have to switch to a different platform, uh, but uh, been someone under the weather lately, it, I've been having trouble sleeping because just the, uh, how would I put it, just the riot across the street gets worse and worse. Last night I didn't get to sleep until 3, 30, 4 o'clock in the morning. You had the normal appearance of, it's normally between 1 and 2 o'clock in the morning, of what I assume is a drug dealer with very, very loud uh, woofer speakers so that the building is shaking. This went on for about half an hour, and I would assume that 
somebody in the hotel would start screaming at them to stop or that, you know, in that homeless shelter, you know, they have some sort of management that would tell them to stop. Maybe they're just too uh, afraid of them. It was the usual screaming. Man, when I was a kid, right, the homeless they had more respect than this. Man, when I was a kid, like homeless shelters just weren't allowing this sort of behavior. I mean, when did we start defining deviancy down? When did our homeless get so out of control? When did our, our homeless shelters become such riotous places? I fear for the health of Western civilization. Dogs barking for a very, very long time. And what appeared to be someone, I don't know, smashing the, the, the parking lot or the walls of the place with a hammer or a mallet or something like that. You know, even if I close the, even if I close the, the window, it doesn't make any difference because it's so loud. Uh, but I am back now. Let's take a look at the chat. Hello to uh, Clownvelt, uh, Dan, uh, Polygons, uh, and Ron uh, Livable. I came across this comment by this uh, well-known feminist author, Jessica something or other, and she was saying, oh, what's all this talk about the homeless making life unsafe? They're more afraid of us than we are of them. <laughs> oh, oh, very uh, satirical. Uh, I'll start today uh, with something at the American Sun, uh, which is presumably Ryan Landry's winners, losers, and links uh, for the week. Winners. Come on. I come to the KMG show on Friday afternoons to hear the latest column by James Howard Kunstler read out loud. Come on. Why can't we start with Kunstler? Russian finances, energy revenues exploded to cover war expenditures, and foreign firms are selling the Russian assets at fire sale prices. Big tent GOP advocates, one Hispanic woman, flips a seat in a low turnout vote, and they go wild. More focus on her attributes than her message. More Dems are the real racist talk. They can enjoy the win for now. And market shorts, more pain as nothing looks good. Uh, the losers, prospective home buyers, mortgage rates at 6%, but prices still high. Market might crack soon enough and offer relief. And finally, third world food importers, food insecurities await. Look for a massive migration to Europe to commence in earnest. Uh, this isn't my phrase, uh, but I came across it recently, that I really think that we, what we've been going through in the last two years is a controlled demolition of the economy, or perhaps a controlled demolition of the world, except that the uh, geniuses, uh, our elites, are, are too stupid to pull off anything like this. They, they really seem to just be uh, bemused, gobsmacked by how the whole Ukraine situation has uh, well made them look. Okay, so here's a, a big difference between KMG and myself. I think the elites and, and Western governments did a better than average job dealing with COVID and dealing with the economic repercussions of COVID. And if they had just gone on business as usual, aside from the lockdowns, we, we would have plunged into a massive, massive depression. I mean, the, the GMP went down by 32% in the first quarter of, uh, of COVID lockdown. And so to, keep, to keep, keep the economy going, to keep people from starving and rioting, they, they inflated. And it turns out that they misjudged how much inflation the system could handle before it started uh, spiraling. But I think governments in extraordinary circumstances have done overall a better than average job. And so to call what's happened the past two years a, a controlled demolition, right, that's arguing that our elites and our governments are deliberately trying to destroy us and to destroy the Western world. Okay, so in comparison to whom? All right. So if our governments are trying to destroy us, if our elites are trying to destroy us, then what does life look like when you don't have governments and you don't have elites trying to destroy you? So let's look around the world. Where are things so much better? Where are things more awesome? 
or where what are some governments where governments aren't trying to do a controlled demolition on the economy like let's look to them and I, i'm trying to think because the united states is more powerful than ever so that's another big difference between i think uh, kevin michael grace and myself uh, i see a world where the united states is more powerful than ever uh he, kevin apparently sees a world where the united states is engaging in a deliberate controlled demolition of its society and of its economy and of its people so if it's such a dystopia in the united states and and in canada and and in england and australia and germany and france that where is it better where are things so much better right you'd presume that if you did not have elites and did not have a government engaged in a controlled demolition then life would be a lot better so i'd like to see those countries now many countries did much better with covid than the west countries that tended not to emphasize individualism as much tended not to emphasize individual freedom as much but had stronger collectivist tendencies where there was more social sanction for misbehavior yeah those countries such as japan south korea seem to have done a lot better with covid than western individualist societies like idiots well, let's go to jim kunstler of course Thank i have to be God. very careful when i quote from him uh, his column today is called how low can you go lots of things are going south all at once uh, remember limbo uh, it was a dance fad kind of like the olympic high jump in reverse instead of leaping over a horizontal bar you duck walked under it and laponia says in comparison to other planets mr ford mars elites are not destroying mars all the western elites are morons mr ford he's talking about the west in general okay so if western elites are morons and governments are run by elites then where is it better right uh, things do you think things are awesome in el salvador do you think things are awesome in nigeria do you think things are just awesome in Japan or South Korea or Thailand? Uh, where exactly is it awesome outside the West? Right? If Western elites are intent on a controlled demolition, then let's look at the results where you don't have Western elites in control. And let's see how much more awesome things are. And you can't come up with anything. Because to say that Western elites, Western governments are engaged in controlled demolition is a very dramatic and exciting overstatement. I just don't see how it, it holds up to just like a sixth grade level of analysis. To Calypso music with the crowd squealing, how low can you go? As it happens in the culture of Western Civ, limbo is also the name of a place on the edge of hell. Nigeria always sucks, says Laponius. The West did not suck before this crap. Okay, but the West is not the whole world. It's not like there's the whole world of the West and Nigeria and there's nothing left. No, there are another 200 countries. So tell me, where is it more awesome in those other 200 countries outside the West? And, okay, you think that uh, the West has engaged in a controlled demolition uh, over the past couple of years. Then w which decade were things so much more awesome? Yeah, I think overall, like, family life was better in the 1950s. Uh, our culture was, was stronger. We had more harmony. So, yeah, I think there are many ways that life in the 1950s was better. But we've got the Internet now. We've got advanced medications now. There are some ways that uh, life is better now than it was in the 1950s. So when do you think things were far more awesome? Either way, you have the apt metaphor for the spot that the USA is in as it enters the summer of double deuce. Come on, Ford. The West is where I live. I don't give a crap about this whole world. But it's 
it's important that you can't come up with any other country where things are so much better, right? If the West is a dystopia, if the West is a hellscape, you should just be able to name off the top of your head, you know, other countries where the quality of life is so much better. And given that you can't come up with names of other countries where life is so much better, that shows that this whole complaining that the West is a dystopia and its leaders are engaged in a controlled demolition is just like womanly emotional talk, which is fine. I mean, this is a safe space to have womanly emotional talk, but it doesn't stand up to even a sixth grade analysis. Lots of things are going south all at once. The stock markets and bond prices, Bitcoin is doing a vanishing act. The Colorado River reservoirs like Powell and Lake Mead are so low that by September, both water... So this rhetorical gambit is weak, bro. Okay, name me the countries. You can't do it. You can't do it. And it, you don't even think that there's anything to that. Okay, the West sucks. America sucks. Western elites suck. Our governments are engaged in a controlled demolition. But I can't come up with any countries where things are better. But the West sucks. Right? That doesn't seem very rigorous thinking to me. Now, this is a safe space for you to have womanly emotions that are completely detached from reality. I, I don't judge you for it. But unless you can come up with other countries where things are just so much better, so much more awesome than the West, I, I don't see how you've got a leg to stand on to say that Western governments and Western elites are just intent on a demolition of society. And electricity may run out for a vast region that includes Phoenix, Los Angeles, and Southern California. The housing market is tanking, suburbia's business model is broken, whole herds of beef cattle roll over and die out in the range, fertilizer is scarce, food processing plants get torched by the dozen, shortages loom. The oil and gas industry is getting killed four ways. One, our stupid Russia sanctions, queered long-standing global distribution arrangements. Two, the industry is starved for capital. Three, depletion is seriously kicking in. And four, Joe Biden and the knuckleheads running the European Union countries are trying to kill it so as to usher in a Green New Deal that just doesn't pencil out. The car dealers have no new cars on their lots, and pretty soon they'll run out of decent used cars, which these days are often priced higher than the non-existent new cars. How's that for a business model? Plus, the financially beaten up middle class can't afford cars in either case and increasingly can't qualify for cars. So notice everything's always really dire every week in James Howard Kunstler's columns. Like, it's the end of the world as we know it. It's like an R.E.M. song. So where is life better? Elliot Blatt says Australia. Australia is a Western country that depends upon the United States to protect it. Japan. Japan throws in with the United States and depends on the United States to protect it. Uh, Indonesia. Uh, where do you get the idea that uh, Indonesia has such an amazing quality of life? I mean, Indonesia is a country of, what, 300 million people? And uh, could you name me the the five most important Indonesians? Like, who are, your, who, who are the five most accomplished Indonesians? I'm waiting. Our loans. Hungary, Estonia. All right, these are, these are part of the West, and they are, they're in NATO, all right? The NATO is a form of colonialism, right? NATO means the United States calls the shots because the United States pays the bills. And these countries are throwing in with American protection. So if America's leaders are engaged in a controlled demolition, why are all these other countries that you imagine are just so much better? Why are they all depending upon and completely afraid to differ from the United States in any important matter in case the United States withdraws its protection from it, right? All these countries depend upon the United States. 
right? So the United States, supposedly this horrible country where its leaders are engaged in a controlled demolition, they are providing the military umbrella over all these countries that you think are just so much better. The airline industry reels with a sucking chest wound due to a pilot shortage thanks to vax mandates and the high cost of... Oh, so all of Europe is the United States. I forgot, didn't say that. I said all of Europe depends upon the United States to keep the peace. Europe is too wimpy, too inadequate, too pathetic to protect itself and to govern itself. It depends upon the United States' military to call the shots and to protect it from itself, from going to war with itself, which is Europe's history. United States is such a dominant power. And you think the United States leadership is engaged in a controlled demolition of the country and the United States is dominating the world. The United States dominates Europe. The United States dominates East Asia. Australia depends upon United States military protection. The United States dollar is the dominant currency. The United States economy is, is the one consumption economy of any means left in the world. Jet fuel. The trucking industry's business model is also broken with diesel fuel over $6 a gallon. The cost of delivery exceeds the value of the cargo. America runs on trucks, and if they stop running, so does everything else. Replacement parts are growing scarce for every mechanical device in the land. It's getting harder to fix anything that's broken. Joe Biden's proxy... So Ford missed the point, or is he deliberately avoiding the point? So what's the point? You've got some differences with the direction of the West over the past few years. You're unhappy with the West now compared to three years ago. Okay, so fine. But the point that I'm arguing against is that the West leaders have engaged in a controlled demolition over the past two years. So what's your basis for substantiating that allegation? The war against Russia and Ukraine isn't working out. It was flamboyantly stupid from the get-go. We deliberately broke the Minsk agreements for a ceasefire in the Donbass. The question is about which societies are more habitable. And remember, the societies that you're listing off as more habitable are ones that are subsidized by American military protection. If they actually had to make their own way in the world, right? You're saying that uh, someone who lives with his parents and is subsidized by his parents, his parents protect them and look after them and ensure that they make good decisions, that they have so much better lives than people who are out there earning their own way in life. Right. Europe is the equivalent of a kid who lives with his parents. Mass to go to the Russians into action. NATO didn't have the troops or the political mojo to back up its U.S.-inspired bluster. Our financial warfare blew back in our faces and actually benefited the Russian economy and its currency, the ruble. The billions of dollars in weapons we're sending into the war are easily... So, so Howard Kutzler and presumably Kevin Michael Grace thinks that the Ukraine war is showing how weak America is and how weak Europe is and how powerful Russia is and presumably how powerful China is. So, again, I have a different opinion. I think that the war in Ukraine shows how weak Russia is and how weak China is. Other factors reveal how weak China is and how dominant the United States is. So very different opinions, very different perspectives. I, I'm looking out at the world, and I'm no expert. I, I look out at the world, I, I read the news, and it just seems more and more obvious each day how dominant America is and how weak Russia is, how weak China is. And I'm seeing an unprecedented degree of unity and cohesion in NATO and in Europe under American direction. Now, Emotionally, I'm 100% on the side of Ukraine. Cognitively, 
dispassionately, I don't believe that we should be getting involved in Ukraine. I think that the uh, United States essentially brought about this conflict by pushing NATO right up to the borders of Russia. Ukraine was a de facto member of NATO. I don't think we should be pouring tens of billions of dollars into Ukraine. So I'm I'm opposed to that level of intervention. So I think Joe Biden, because he's so politically weak, he is risking life on Earth. He's risking a, a nuclear catastrophe. He is risking just any number of catastrophes through unnecessary confrontation with Russia. So that's my point of view. Interdicted in transport or also getting loose in a world of non-state maniacs running from the Taliban to Al-Qaeda to drug cartels. Meanwhile, Russia steadfastly grinds out a victory on the ground that will leave it in control of the Black Sea and will reveal the USA's lost capacity to impose its will around the world. In other words, our Ukraine project to weaken Russia brought on an apocalypse shift in the balance of power to our enormous disadvantage. This is on top of more than 20 years of U.S. military fiascos from Afghanistan to Iraq to North Africa to Syria. So, so James Howard Kunstler thinks that the war in Ukraine is shifting the world's balance of power against the United States and reveals how pathetically weak the United States is. Okay, that's just a very different perspective from mine. Syria, which demonstrated our reckless disregard for human life and a gross inability to carry out a mission. This aggregate failure and display of weakness leaves us vulnerable to Chinese aggression in the Pacific. There is even spooky chatter now about China venturing to invade Australia, Japan, and the U.S. <laughs> mainland. Yes, really. With all this to be concerned about, half the American public and the Joe Biden regime... Name- there's spooky chatter. Guys, there's spooky chatter that China is going to invade the U.S. mainland land and japan and australia and and he's mentioning it because he he thinks that we should be concerned right he's not just mentioning this to show how ridiculous it is james howard kunstler is making this point that we should be afraid that china is going to invade japan is going to invade australia and is going to invade the mainland of the united states i, I mean Kustler's off his rocket. Wow. Insist, well, I won't say that, remain enthralled to the COVID-19 horror movie and at the mercy of the mRNA pharmaceutical products. But now all the cover stories are falling apart. It's getting harder to conceal. Well, let's say the contraindications. I'll just leave it at that. A concert continues the CDC, FDA, pharma cabal strategy. For now, keep bluffing and quintupling down on what they're doing. They just sweepingly authorized mRNA shots for babies. Why? To extend the emergency use authorization that shields Pfizer and Moderna from liability. Uh, To try to head off coming a disaster for the elite, the Joe Biden regime just announced a second attempt to control the news flow with a White House disinformation task force to replace the ludicrous Homeland Security Disinformation Governance Board that flopped so... To head off a disaster for the elite. Really, does anyone think that some kind of misinformation board is going to head off a disaster for the elite? It's a. It's going to be another ineffective government bureaucracy. Uh, all right. Really, you think that some some Department of Homeland Security operation with regard to disinformation is going to head off disaster for for the elite? Come on, man. Miserably in May, when its appointed chief, Ms. Jankowitz, turned out to be a prime purveyor of disinformation. The new disinfo task force, led by V. Kamala Harris, who performed so well in her previous assignment as border czar, is...
this information is highly subjective. So the the task force wasn't shut down because Nina Jankowitz was found to be a prime purveyor disinformation. It was shut down because it was a PR disaster. Is pretending to be all about online sexual harassment and gender bigotry. And Kunstler continues, it won't work. Joe Biden is running on empty. His regime staggers on in a delirium and an odium, like one of those groaning, brain-leaking zombies on cable TV. The voters are poised to unload. Okay, so regime is what you call a country where you don't have a democracy. So the right loves to engage in this hyperbolic rhetoric. Uh, the left sometimes engages in this hyperbolic rhetoric. Uh, I don't find it useful. I don't find it helpful. I don't find it accurate. Right, Joe Biden was overwhelmingly elected. On the other hand, if 200,000 votes have gone the other way in certain key counties, in certain key states, then uh, Donald Trump would have been reelected. But all this talk about regime, whether it's coming from the left or the right, what's really going on here? You've got people saying essentially that the people can't be trusted, that our government can't be trusted, that uh, people have a false consciousness. So if you're on the left, you say it's being implanted by capitalism. If you're on the right, you say it's the, the media industrial complex, it's the academy industrial complex, it's the elite industrial complex. And regular people can't be trusted because they've all been bamboozled and brainwashed. And then if you're a loser, you will retreat into to more conspiracy theories and passivity. If you're effective at life and you have this, this point of view, very likely to engage in criminal behavior because you're saying that the people that there's no hope for the people and there's no hope for the democratic system because people are so bamboozled therefore we have to go beyond the system there are no moral constraints in what you do right once you say that everyone's fooled that the system is irretrievably broken that it's all rigged against you you're removing all moral constraints from how people behave now, losers will most likely retreat into passivity, pornography, and gaming. But people who have some degree of effectiveness will be much more incentivized to engage in criminal behavior, such as January 6th and, and worse. Two barrels of buckshot to this monster's head in September if we're not prevented from holding elections. Okay, not going to repeat that. Until we're in a race to see just how the party of chaos completes the destruction of the economy, which is the prelude to the people of the USA destroying the party of chaos. Now, I understand that this term, a controlled uh, demolition, I might be considered a controversial or a conspiracy theory, but let's see what Joe Biden himself has had to say about this. This is from Wendell Huspo at Breitbart. Then candidate Joe Biden said in 2019 that he would end the fossil fuel industry in the United States. There's a direct quotation from a campaign appearance in Newcastle, New Hampshire. I want to look, I want you to look at my eyes. I guarantee you, I guarantee you we're going to end fossil fuels. Uh, Bush said something similar in 2020 on the Democrat. Okay, let's see what's going on with Tucker Carlson. So there's a big push in the U.S. Senate to do something about so-called gun crime. So if you had a map of gun crime, that is crimes committed with guns, crimes in which people die by gunshot, you would notice that they are clustered in cities. That's where the overwhelming... Elliot Blatt said, San Francisco is knee-deep in excrement. Why can't we have nice things? Well, you can get out there and volunteer and help clean up the streets, right? Or you can move to a place where there isn't excrement. So how about one of those? Look at what every leader is doing. You'll figure it out, presumably meaning leader of the West. Okay, so where is it better? Hey, we went through 
a once in a century virus and we we made it through most of us right and and generally speaking our government did better than average better than than could normally be expected we got vaccines in in less than a year we we had a lower death toll than if something had hit us akin to the spanish flu in 1918 so i'm not sure what's the what's the need that it meets that you're living in about the freest most prosperous society that's ever existed and all you can see is shit like what what is that doing for you like you have unprecedented freedom unprecedented prosperity you can go out and build commitments connections relationships community you can volunteer you can take action you can join groups you can try to make your community a better place and what you want to focus on is that everything in the most prosperous dominant society that the world has ever seen that everything's shit <laughs> i feel like oh man what was that what was what was my spencer moment man i just lost it i, I feel like I, i'm just going to lose it again those of you who think that this rampage is a good thing you love death you want to die you want people like you to die you want some huge burning spectacle because inside your insides are like a big burning fire so you love death i love life that's the difference between us you want to destroy you want to tear down you want to shit all over places that you disagree with you want to defecate you want to vomit you want to go out in blazing glory you want to break the law. You want people to ruin their lives. Because at core, you love death. I love life. I love the rule of law. You want to destroy the law. You want to shed all over this country. I want to protect and clean up this country. That's the difference between us. You want to take a shit on the United States of America. At your core, that's who you are. That's what you want to do. You are full of shit. You want to take a shit on this country. You love death. You glorify death. Five people died. Five innocent people died from this rampage and you think it's great what kind of person thinks the death of five innocent people is a good thing a person who is insanely in love with death okay and to to fact correct myself it's not clear that any of those uh, five innocent deaths were caused by the january 6th rampage <laughs> uh laponia says so what am I saying? Join a 12-step group and ignore the crack addict taking a dump on your front step. Find community, bro. Well, there are a hundred different forms of community out there aside from 12-step groups. But yeah, I think it's important to join community. And if a crack addict is taking a dump on your front step, uh, maybe you shouldn't necessarily engage. Like, you have to use good judgment. Like, if he's carrying a knife... If he's carrying a gun, if he looks to be capable of violence, then yeah, probably call the police, right? If you have a crack addict taking a dump on your front step, you can call the police and you'll say, oh, 40, they'll take an hour to get there. They might not ever show up. They won't respond perfectly and as quickly as I want, right? They may not respond as quickly and as purposefully as you want, 
but there's a good chance that you'll get some response and uh, take a video of it, <laughs> post it online, uh, maybe get together with your neighbors and see what you can do with people on your street to reduce the number of crack addicts taking dumps on front steps. So maybe there's a middle ground between total passivity in response to the crack addict dumper and uh, going out there and beating him, God forbid, with a Torah scroll. Okay, how about how about a middle path between those two options? The majority of gun crime takes place, but the Senate isn't trying to do anything about that. Instead, Democrats have decided this is a perfect opportunity in the wake of school shootings to disarm you. And the amazing thing is, Mitch McConnell, the head Republican in the Senate is on their side completely, and he's rounded up a group of 10 Republicans who can help him. So the backbone of this pack. Look, that crack addict taking a dump on your front step is just a friend you haven't made yet. Maybe you should offer him a bowl of soup and invite him to use your shower. I mean, I wish Norm MacDonald was here. Norm MacDonald would, would agree with me. Because they, they found they were making too many movies where the... <laughs> <laughs> where the antagonist of the film was a ventriloquist dummy. <laughs> Nothing but pure evil. Right. So then the ventriloquists were going, oh my God, this is not going to be good for my act. The malevolent <laughs> So they went to like sort of a sleeping bag with a face on it, the yeah, big exactly. plush thing. That's what it looks like. Uh -huh. But uh, now Rusty's wood, my guy. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a second. Samarag, and you have to isolate that quote. That that is going to be played regularly on this show. Rusty's wood, my guy, is the funniest thing I've ever. Heard. Yeah, man. Oh, tell me about Rusty. <laughs> hey, what? Another guy canceled? I don't know. <laughs> What's Rusty look like? What, Rusty? I oh, know, I'll get him out of the bag in a minute, but listen, that is... <laughs> well, listen, Norman, I can't tell you how good it is. Has Luke Ford volunteered to clean up the streets of L.A.? Uh, Luke Ford volunteers between 10 to 15 hours a week to help clean things up, right? I'm not literally out there shoveling manure, but I'm doing my part to clean up this city. And I, I've been doing that for... At least eight years now. Is to hear from you. You know, I think you're a genius. Wait, you know, I love you. Wait, is it over? Well, we got to. I'm coming. I haven't played a commercial yet this hour. And, and no, but are we? Go, are we going to do another bit after the commercial? Can you stay? Hold on, man. Let me ask Rusty. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be right back with the guys on the Dennis Miller Show, starring. Is his name Sandy? Rusty. Rusty. What? Rusty. How many? How many? Uh, uh, how many puppets do you have? I got three. Three in the bag? Yeah, I got uh, I got them cheaper because there were three. But I, these are not cheap. I paid a pretty penny for them. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like uh, one of them worked with uh, Paul Winchell. <laughs> this guy was a fortune. And uh, then he's, uh, one guy, Rusty's the main guy. And plus, I got a book. <laughs> I do it. You know, hold on a sec. What the... <laughs> Uh, that's just Gervitz phoning. He's, he's phoning to ask me if uh, I'm 
I'm on with you guys. I <laughs> <laughs> well, Kermit's checking up on you. We're all somebody's puppet, Norm. You know, that's yeah, exactly. our point in life. Wait, not, what, why do you keep saying puppet? Jeez, man. <laughs> I don't know. Well, these personas that you have. These... Anyway, now, to me... What's the windshield? Real, they're as real as uh, yeah, you know, anything real. Like a person. Well, how I I don't. I, I have three ones. Uh, Rusty, he's my, as it says in the book, he's my uh, main man, <laughs> and he's just like an everyman. You know, he, this guy will say anything. And then there's uh, one puppet that's no good at all. That's uh, he's just. He's an old guy, and he's uh, cranky about everything, right? <laughs> but also, he doesn't believe the Holocaust has <laughs> He's like the worst puppet character ever. Like, you know, and everyone, I never want to die to him. I never use him, because it always comes back to that. Stephen Vermont. The puppet isn't Stephen Vermont. No, he's the worst, man. The guy's like, the guy's just, first of all, he's playing wrong. <laughs> <laughs> he's not like an evil guy, just ignorant. <laughs> Old men will be, but anyway, the Senator third one's Richard Nixon. <laughs> uh, no, McDonald on the Dennis Miller show. Package of legislation they're trying to get through is something called a red flag law. And in one sentence, a red flag law oh. would allow the government to confiscate your firearms without even charging you with a crime, much less convicting you of one. So, who are these Republicans? Well, the lead is John Cornyn of Texas. And the amazing thing about John Cornyn is he admits he doesn't care about gun crimes committed by actual criminals. We know this from a piece today in Axios, and we're quoting. Senator John Kennedy asked Cornyn during one lunch, quote, are we focused on gang violence and inner city murders? And the response was, no, we're not focusing on that. <laughs> well, if you're not focusing on that, why are you doing this exactly? We don't need to guess about where gun crime comes from. Here's a montage of some of the crimes that John Cornyn can't be bothered with. A ring camera in the neighborhood captured the back and forth of gunfire as panicked teenagers ran through the street. It's happened 26 times in just one week. A string of robberies that all begin and end the same way. NYPD video showing one of them where a team of armed suspects riding in a dark-colored Mercedes-Benz or Volkswagen Passat suddenly stop their car, jump out, flash their guns, rob their innocent victims, get back in the car and drive off. Washington State alone has seen a record 85 armed robberies at cannabis stores so far this year. This employee was shot six times. So crime is a complicated thing, but the crime spike that we're seeing now is not complicated at all. Prosecutors across the country are refusing to enforce laws that we already have. And when you do that, crime spikes. So if you're the United States Senate, if you're John Cornyn from Texas, supposedly free state of Texas, you'd probably want to do something about that. But no, John Cornyn has decided to take guns from lawful gun owners. And if there's one reason you vote Republican, it's to prevent that. So it's not surprising that John Cornyn is very unpopular with Republican voters. Watch his reception today at the Texas Republican Convention. Listen for the booze. So let's take our country back, starting with Congress in November. Thank you. God bless you. And may God continue to bless our great state of Texas. Senator Mike Lee uh, sits in the Senate. He's from Utah. He's watched this whole thing. He's a constitutional scholar, among other things, and we're, we're delighted to have him. Tonight. Senator, thanks so much scholar for coming Mike on. I'm not going to put you in a position where you have to Heck, attack your colleagues, but as a broader God. question, is a I wonder why, if you're worried scholar, about crimes committed Mike with Lee. guns, murders committed with guns, that you wouldn't great. do something about them 
and One of the great intellectuals of our time. Can't wait, Fox Nation. So there's never been an easier time to enter the United States. It's simply just walk across at this point. That has been the case since Joe Biden became president. Now, we imagine that everyone who's coming across is coming for a better life to participate in our economy, and most of them are, but not all of them. If you're a bad person trying to come into the United States, this is your moment, and they know that. So criminals from the FBI's terror watch list are coming over. Fox's Bill Malugin is at the border with proof of that from the Border Patrol. Hey, Bill. Hey, Tucker, good evening to you. That's exactly right. Brand new data from CBP shows that the number of people on the terror watch list showing up here at our southern border is shooting through the roof under President Biden. Take a look at these numbers just out from CBP. What you're looking at are Border Patrol arrests of people on the FBI's terrorist screening database. Take a look at the numbers for fiscal year 2022 already. 50 of these arrests of the people on the terror watch list already. That is more than the previous five years combined. You can see in 2021, there were 15. The year before that, there were three. The year before that, there were zero. So you can see the trend here, really, these last couple of years under President Biden, these numbers have shot up like a rocket ship. And again, these are arrests of people who are known or suspected terrorists. And it's all happening as illegal crossings are exploding down here. Take a look at this video we put together the last couple of weeks showing some of these illegal crossings we've witnessed. The main numbers just came out. They are historic yet again. More than 239,000 illegal crossings at our southern border here in May. That is a brand new record, the highest in DHS history. It's the third month in a row there were more than 200,000 illegal crossings. And listen to this putting it in the big picture since October there have now been more than 1.5 million illegal crossings at our southern border that's bigger than the populations of Seattle and Boston combined last thing we'd like to show you take a look at this wild video out of Border Patrol's Tucson Arizona sector what you're going to see here is a huge group of illegal immigrants rushing the border from Mexico near Douglas Arizona you're going to see several of them running to the border barrier some will start trying to climb over it others will start trying to crawl under it or dig underneath it as overwhelmed border agents and pickup trucks try to respond on the other side eventually some illegal immigrants pop through and they run into the United States. It's unclear how many of them were stopped, but that is what agents have to deal with day in, day out. And back out here live, the reason why those terror watch list numbers are so concerning is a CBP source tells me just since October, there have been more than 440,000 known gotaways here at our southern border. You do the math on that, that's an average of about 1,800 people every single day sneaking past our border agents. And Tucker, the big question is, who are those gotaways? We'll send it back to you. And where are they going? No illusion. Fantastic job, as always. Thanks, Bill. Biden did this. What a destroyer. He destroyed his own family, showered with his own daughter, and then wrecked the country. John Daniel Davidson is a senior editor at The Federalist. He just returned from the border, and we're always eager for a firsthand view of what is happening there. He spoke to migrants coming across. John, thanks so much for joining us tonight. Uh, What did you see, and what was your impression of it? What I saw was a border that is frankly out of control. Every migrant that we talked to told us that they came north and, tr- and they plan to get into the United States because they think it's a good time to come. They think that they can get in and that they'll be allowed to stay. And the thing is, Tucker, they're not wrong. Most of the migrants who are getting in and who are getting picked up by Border Patrol and Customs and Border Protection are being allowed to stay. They're being paroled into the country. They're being released pending their asylum hearing. Uh, there's any number of ways that they're being released. But all in all, the majority of them are getting through. Uh, and the ones that aren't getting through are getting sent back to Mexico and they're waiting there to try again. And... Um, and, and that's that's who we talked to. We talked there's thousands and thousands of migrants in northern Mexican border cities waiting to come across. So the Biden administration is making this possible. They said they would and they have. But two of the states into which these migrants are coming, Texas and Arizona, have Republican governors, Greg Abbott in Texas and Doug Ducey in Arizona. Do you see any evidence that they're doing? Uh, I'm just looking at this video of uh, Joe Biden, like groping girls and just imagine that you're you're appointed like defense secretary. And and Joe Biden, didn't this really happen? Joe Biden's there at, at the press conference where you're appointed 
a defense secretary and Joe Biden's like groping your wife, like just totally creeping out your wife, like his hands are like all over her neck and her shoulders. And you're the defense secretary, man. I was just thinking I'd, I'd want to punch Joe Biden. Like he starts groping my wife or my sister or my kids. I'd want to punch him. But if let's say he's president of the United States or vice president of the United States, you can't do that. On the other hand, I'd say, what the, I would think that I'd turn away from my press conference and say, get your effing hands off my wife, my daughter, my my sister. Like, this guy is so creepy. Ugh. Ugh. Anything to save the rest of the country from this. Uh, not in a serious way. Texas Governor Greg Abbott has uh, tried with his Operation Lone Star to uh, sort of make it more uh, difficult for uh, migrants coming north. He's struck a few deals with corrupt Mexican governors, um, but nothing really that is making a substantive difference. And we know that because hundreds of thousands of people are being arrested every month. The numbers are increasing despite these operations at the state level. Uh, and the other thing that we know is that the Mexican government is involved in this. How do we know that? Because you can't get to northern Mexico. You can't get up to the border unless you go through these checkpoints. And you can't get through the checkpoints unless you have papers. So there, there's official corruption going on. And the evidence is that hundreds of thousands of people are moving through Mexico up to the border every month. It's such a crime. It's unbelievable this is happening. John Daniel Davidson, I appreciate your coming on. Thank you. Thanks, John. Thank you. Thanks, man. So Jeffrey Epstein killed himself. Shut up, he did. And that was the end of the story. What's interesting is Jelaine Maxwell hasn't killed herself yet. But lawyers are claiming there have been attempts to have her killed in prison. But shut up, look away, look away. Accomplished Jeffrey Epstein, however, she has not yet died suspiciously behind bars. But not for lack of trying. Her lawyers say there have been attempts to have her assassinated in jail. Ooh, fascinating. Fox Trace Gallagher has that story for us tonight. Hey, Trace. Hey, hey Trace. Glenn Maxwell is scheduled to be sentenced on June 20. Oh, come on. Let, let's see what, what else is going on in the world. Let's, uh, let's get some more Kevin Michael Grace here. Primary debate stage. Biden promised to wage war on the American oil industry by terminating subsidies and drilling feasibility. Quote, no more subsidies for the fossil fuel industry, no more drilling, including offshore, no ability for the oil industry to continue to drill, period. Biden said of his energy policies, if he won the presidency, it ends. Now, of course, Biden, or who's ever running the government, I'm told it's a woman called Susan Rice, haven't really thought this through because they have no idea how the economy works. Oil is becoming scarcer, uh, much more expensive to get out of the ground. And uh, companies like ExxonMobil, uh, you know, their offshore uh, drilling programs, they spend billions of dollars before they even sink any drills. That's how expensive it's become. Uh, there is nothing in place to, uh, to be a substitute for evil old fossil fuel. It's not ready, even if it's possible that it could ever be ready, but they just decided to go ahead anyway. Because, uh, you know, you uh, never let, uh, what, never let a mistake, a tragedy, whatever, go to uh, waste. Isn't that how it goes? Uh, here's a column by Don Serber. Economy crumbles, Trump rises, New York Times whines. The New York Times is worried voters may throw out Democrats come November. It told readers a recession would hurt Democrats. Some warned it also hurt democracy. By trying to tame inflation, some commentators say the Federal Reserve could bring about a recession just as an unrepentant Donald Trump appears to be eyeing another White House bid. So there you have it. Voters electing our leaders threaten democracy. Uh, well, yes, uh, lots of support for Biden. 11 points in one year, according to server, reflects his surrender of Afghanistan, rising climb. So you're probably wondering why Joe Biden was, was smiling here. He was remembering all his showers with his daughter. Like whenever he goes back to that memory of what it was like to shower with his daughter, he just just starts beaming like a Christmas tree. So Joe Biden's never looked happier than remembering those showers with Ashley.
crime, rising murder, failure in Ukraine, and most of all, the worst inflation in two generations. Most Americans were not around when Reagan cured Carter's inflation 40 years ago because the average age of an American is less than 39 years old. Those who don't learn from history will be paying $10 a gallon for gasoline by labor a day. All of us will. Which brings me back to the New York Times piece. After noting that the cure for runaway inflation is a recession, the New York Times was alarmed that a recession would bring back Donald Trump. Democrats keep telling us he is an authoritarian figure, yet he didn't even use the FBI to spy on political opponents. Obama did. Heck, Trump couldn't even get General Milley to stop calling Red China to think on him. Since when did the New York Times ever care about facts? It just lies. It is a disinformation and misinformation machine. Uh, a lot of things, as Constable noted, are going south simultaneously. And one of them is the condition of America's cities, conditions on the ground. This is from Gina Martinez at the Daily Mail. The streets of Portland resemble an open-air drug market after state officials scheme to decriminalize hard drugs led to a surge in overdose deaths, critics claim. Law enforcement agents say that the streets of Portland are full of homeless addicts openly buying and selling drugs, and the signs of drug addiction are actually increasing statewide. Photos show the desperate situation in the liberal Pacific Northwest city where people can be seen. Oi, so guess Julian Assange is being extradited to the U.S. Grace, I appreciate you bringing that to us tonight. Thank you, you very much. Sure. Where are all the videos from Pedo Island? Oh. So if you're conservative, you remember the name Julian Assange, and you remember the Bush people are always telling you he was a bad guy. But at this point, you have to wonder, what exactly did Julian Assange do wrong? What was his actual crime? Well, offending people with power. That was his real crime. Assange founded WikiLeaks, and WikiLeaks published internal emails that embarrassed the DNC and the Hillary Clinton for President campaign. It also published videos showing the U.S. military killed civilians in Iraq and covered it up. So exposing the crimes to the powerful is itself a crime, apparently. So the U.S. government has charged Assange with violations of the Espionage Act. Really? It's, a... it's always been a very dicey proposition to expose powerful people who can then hurt you. So this isn't new. It's it, sad. The nature of reality is often sad. But yeah, you, you don't get to be a hero on the cheap. Bye now! and then leaned on the British government to help. So today, the Britain's interior ministry authorized Assange's extradition to the United States to face trial. Here he faces 175 years in prison. Here was the reaction from Assange's father today. Australian friends find it extraordinary that the, the country that gave the world freedom of the press, enshrined in its constitution in the First Amendment, today brought that freedom to an end. It's over for a publisher to be extradited to the United States, charged under the Espionage Act, oppresses all publishers, all journalists everywhere. It's an atrocity. Gabe Shipton is doing Assange's brother. He's also a film producer. We're happy to have him join us tonight. Gabe, thanks so much for coming on. So do you believe your brother will be extradited to the United States, and do you believe the Biden administration will prosecute him under the Espionage Act? Well, Tucker, it certainly seems that way. Uh, the Biden administration has uh, continued on with this extradition, and uh, Julian is running out of options uh, in the UK. Uh, the courts uh, at the highest level have now uh, approved his extradition, and so has the UK government. So uh, we think that his extradition is going to happen uh, probably within the year. So if your brother can be prosecuted under the so-called Espionage Act, then any journalist or any citizen who offends the people in charge or exposes their misdeeds can be prosecuted. Why isn't every journalist in the West defending your brother? Well, that's a very good uh, question, Tucker. I think, um, you know, we've seen some journalists come out. Uh, obviously, yourself, you've been very strong. Uh, but until now, they've been able to a lot of them have been able to say, well, the UK government is going to uh, stop this. But uh, now that's become very clear that the UK government uh, is not going to stop this. And this is, this is really, uh, you know, the fight of our lifetimes for... Uh, I think uh, Joe Biden's uh, favourite song is uh, Thank Heaven for Little Girls, right? 
for press freedom. And yes. so it's up to all the journalists now to get together and stand up uh, together to fight this and to just get the Biden administration to drop this. I, I must say, for all of its faults, I think the United States is still a freer country than the UK. I think he probably has a better shot here. Um, I hope that's true. And I, anyway, I appreciate your continuing to bring your brother's case to the world's attention because it deserves it. Gabe Shipton, thank you. Thanks, Gabe. That's thank uh, you. Julian's, Julian's So the administration is failing on every level, the one run by the guy who showers with his own daughter. But they have be ashamed of what it's done for the last year and a half, but you'd be wrong. They're very proud. And the thing they're proud of is their diversity, which is needless to say their strength. And we know that because Admiral Richard Levine just tweeted out this picture along with the message, quote, when the first openly gay press secretary and the first openly trans four-star admiral meet at the White House during Pride, proud to be part of an administration where everyone can see themselves reflected in leadership, we've come so far. Here's to shattering more ceilings. <laughs> oh, narcissism on parade. And Joe Biden is proud, too. He's excited about all this diversity. Here he was on Wednesday. I'm also proud to have signed an executive order on my first day in office to combat discrimination against LGBTQLI, excuse me, plus Americans. <laughs> LGBTQLI plus Americans. What's the plus, Joe Biden? Is that for people who shower with their daughters? Uh, if you don't understand the acronym, don't use it. What we told you was an insurrection last night at Capitol Hill. Another one, Stephen Colbert did it. Will he be spending the next year and a half in solitary? We'll tell you Monday. Have the best weekend with the one. Okay, thank you. Thanks, Tucker. Man, let's try to look on the lighter side. No Actually. You can talk to any of them. I don't care. I, I know I'm not talking to... I'm not talking to old man Jenkins. <laughs> I am not a puppet. Thank you, Norm. Norm, the last time I talked to you, you were working with a puppet. Does that still hold true? <laughs> Why? They're not called puppets, man. Oh, I'm sorry. What are they? Ventriloquist uh, dummies. <laughs> <laughs> and even that is a little uh, epithetic. But uh... what, what, what would you what would you imagine they'd like to be called in a perfect well world? i call them my friends yeah, <laughs> my friends in the bag <laughs> christian wanted me to do this but i don't i don't know where that bag is what, what, were, what were some of the puppets who, who was your rat pack in there i, I had the... well i had my my regular guy brad he's my <laughs> he's just my buddy you know and then i, I got this old man and i had trouble with him he's he's too cranky right right it turned out I don't even want. I don't even want to mention it, what, what he believes. And weren't you weren't you also beginning to work with a young chip? Okay, well, this this Capitol Hill break break in is uh, kind of amazing. Night for Sean, and we begin with that Fox News alert because multiple people associated with Stephen Colbert's The Late Show were arrested yesterday at the U.S. Capitol and charged with illegal entry. Here with the latest is our own Chad Pergram. Chad. Good evening, Pete. Well, seven people, according to U.S. Capitol Police, have been arrested with unlawful entry. They were all associated with The Late Show with Stephen Colbert on CBS. They came yesterday for the 1-6 committee hearing in the Cannon House office building. Now, Fox has confirmed that the group came to the House office buildings to interview two members of the 1-6 committee, Adam Schiff and Stephanie Murphy. They also interviewed Massachusetts Democrat Jake Auchincloss. Auchincloss is not on the 1-6 committee. Capitol Police showed the, shooed the group away from the 1-6 committee hearing area because they did not have proper press credentials. Fox is told the House Radio TV gallery denied them credentials because they are not news. However, Fox has confirmed that the group was let back into the Longworth House office building by an aide Auchincloss after 4 p.m. Fox is told the aide thought they had more interviews to do. They remained in the House office buildings unattended for hours. The group was arrested after the building closed. The arrest came around 8.30 p.m. Eastern Time. They were near the office of GOP Colorado Representative Lauren Boebert. They had no escort at that point.
We've got to get more information. And that's why we need an investigation. We need to make sure that we understand who in their offices brought these individuals in. It's my, it's my understanding that these individuals were brought in by someone associated with Adam Schiff's office. Now, Capitol Police say they arrested seven people, charged them with unlawful entry. In a statement, Capitol Police say, quote, the building was closed to visitors, and these individuals were determined to be a part of a group that had been directed by the Capitol Police to leave the building earlier in the day. Among those arrested, Robert Smigel. He is known for producing TV Funhouse on Saturday Night Live. He also does the voice of Triumph, the insult comic dog. Now, we have reached out to CBS. We have nothing yet here. And this came, Pete, just after the 1-6 committee released a video earlier in the week of GOP Georgia Representative Barry Loudermilk giving tours in the House office buildings on January 5th of last year, one day before the Capitol riot. The Democrats on the committee, they have released these tapes, and they have said that GOP members gave what they termed surveillance tours of the U.S. Capitol ahead of the riot. Pete? Bizarre. Comic the insult dog roaming the Capitol. Chad Pergram, thank you very much. All right, also tonight, the Biden presidency is going from, well... Okay, thank you, thank you. Oh, man, I need to sober up. Let's get some sobering news from Kevin Michael Green. Shooting up drugs are passed out in broad daylight. The dreadful scene comes 60 months after ballot measure 110, which passed with 58.8% support decriminalized hard drugs in the Democrat-run state. Well, the same thing is happening in Vancouver and Victoria, the latter city being where I live. And no, there was no vote on this because Canadians don't get to vote on that. I suppose the police just decided that they weren't going to enforce drug laws anymore. And then the federal government said, um, okay, British Columbia, you can decriminalize everything. And this is harm reduction. They call it harm reduction. And various harm reduction policies have been in place for decades now on the West Coast, and the situation just gets worse and worse. Uh, more and more fatal overdoses, more and more broken people stumbling. Uh, Come on, the, the best harm reduction is to take showers with your daughter. Down the sidewalk, bent over typically, often not wearing shoes, uh, screaming obscenities or general uh, imprecations, uh, falling down and you know relieving themselves on the streets and sleeping in the doorways. And the streets, of course, are befouled uh, by uh, the detritus of their dogs because uh, these people who are very, very poor, they still have the wherewithal to um, afford to keep dogs. Look at the very sheer terror on those cold Some people spaces. see a bigger picture here. Uh, this is a, a story Biden. from LifeSite News. It comes from a, uh, an interview that uh, Archbishop uh, Carlo Maria Vigano uh, gave uh, on a TV. Looks like a hostage and video. And the headline of the story is Freemasonry is using the WHO and the Bergolian Church to advance its global coup. We're by members of the global lobby of criminal conspirators who tell us directly that their plan is to eliminate us and the whole time we were sitting here wondering why we have to wear masks on buses and not in restaurants. And he talks about well, the situation in, um, in Europe. The reason you don't have to wear masks in restaurants while you're eating is because you can't eat and wear a mask at the same time. So there were, there were rules in some places that you should wear a mask when you're not eating in a restaurant, but I don't think it's that complicated. I don't think we, we need to blame the, the Freemasons. With the stranglehold of what he calls the Troika, the International Monetary Fund, the European Commission, and the European Central Bank. Finally, the subversive action of the UN Agenda 2030, that is the Great Reset of the World Economic Forum. Has, has a the UN has no power, right? Governments with guns and, and planes and, and bombs have power. So anyone, and I'm not blaming Kevin Michael Grace here, he's reading someone else's report, but anyone who's blaming the United Nations for the Great Reset, it's uh, simply completely disconnected from reality. Now, I know it feels good. Oh, it's these Mori, 
multinational, multilateral organizations. It's the UN, man, the Great Reset. That's an elite conspiracy. They're just trying to carry out a controlled demolition of our society. Declared purpose to transfer the wealth of nations and individuals to large investment funds managed by the globalist mafia. This subversive operation must be denounced and prosecuted by the magistrates because it constitutes a true silent coup against the community. I would, Archbishop Vigano uh, concludes, however, not concludes, continues, like to point out that the economic aspect is only one means of achieving far more worrying goals, such as total control of the world's population and its enslavement. If citizens are deprived of home ownership, if they are prevented from having freedom of enterprise, if endemic unemployment is caused and increased by uncontrolled immigration. Yeah, the, the elites, they're trying to engage in global enslavement. Global enslavement, guys. Like, we're living in a time of almost unprecedented prosperity and, and freedom and, and opportunity. And it's all because the elites are trying to enslave us. In health emergencies, reducing labor costs, if Italians are harassed with exorbitant taxes, if the traditional family is penalized by making it practically impossible for two young people to marry and have children, if education is destroyed beginning in elementary school and the cultural vacuum is created by frustrating the talent of individuals, if the history of our native land is canceled and the glorious heritage that made Italy great is denied in the name of inclusiveness and the renunciation of our national identity, what can one expect if not a society without a future, without hopes, without the desire to fight and engage? I've been thinking about this uh, for years that, okay, so people used to expect certain things in countries like Canada and the United States. They used to expect to, you know, assuming they were reasonably diligent and not, you know, idiotic, uh, to have a reasonably well-paying job, uh, to be able to afford a home. To be yeah, did people expect this, say, during the Great Depression? Uh, not necessarily. So all these wonderful things, like being able to afford a home and having a good-paying job, these all things depend upon circumstance. It's not like our elites now, governments deliberately decided to carry out a controlled demolition. Now, on the other hand, I agree with Kevin Michael Grace that governments do get to set wage levels by determining how many immigrants that they allow into the country. So I have some sympathy and some agreement with what Kevin is saying. I just think he's overstating the case. Be able to afford to get married to be able to afford to have children. One could say to have communities. All right, it's a lot more difficult to afford to have children in a city. Now, if you go live in the country and uh, say live on a farm or live, live where housing is cheaper, then it's uh, easier to raise kids. But it's not like the elite or the government is just unilaterally deciding these things, except I do 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 give Kevin this point, that you determine wage levels by how much immigration you allow into your country. So government has a significant effect on the issues that Kevin is talking about, but I, I don't believe it was like this deliberate, let's, let's carry out a controlled demolition on our economy. Let's deliberately make it so that people can't afford to get married and to raise kids and to own a home. There are a lot of different factors, globalization, right? has uh, reduced wage levels in many cases, particularly for the least educated. And then it was decided that, no, we can't have communities anymore. Only rich people can. It was not decided that we can't have communities anymore, except, on the other hand, there's a good point, when you expand civil rights, right? Don't you, don't you want more civil rights, bro? Don't you want more freedom, right? So we expand civil rights, we expand freedom for some people, and at the same time, you take away rights and freedoms from other people. So we have reduced freedom of association, which has made having, having community more difficult. So on the one hand, I disagree with Kevin. And then I think, okay, he does have a point. 
that massive civil rights laws have reduced the ability to hire who you want, to rent who you want, to associate with who you want. And so that has reduced community. Also, massive numbers of immigrants into, the, into a country also reduces community. So on the one hand, I was instinctively going, no, I disagree with Kevin here. And then as I think about it, right, I think he, he's, got, he's got something of a point here. I think, think there, there are some strong arguments in favor of what he's saying. It's just that when I hear it initially, it just sounds all conspiratorial that this is all planned demolition. But on the other hand, immigration policy is the responsibility of government. When government passes civil rights legislation, which means you can no longer hire and fire freely, you can no longer decide who you're going to rent to, you can no longer have as much freedom of association and free property rights, all right? Who are you going to rent your property to, right? That goes out the door with civil rights legislation. Then you have much more litigation and with much more immigration, right? You do have an assault on a community. So some powerful arguments in favor of what Kevin's just saying. And enjoy what pretty much everyone used to take for granted. But instead... Uh, what people, particularly young people, have been offered is license. Um, you want to become a trans person? Yeah, so as I, how I understand it is certain freedoms have been extended, but this comes at the cost of other freedoms. So just like if you introduce new species into an island or into any community, right, you can't just keep introducing new species without existing species going extinct. If you start planting eucalyptus trees, other plants who can't compete with eucalyptus are going to die out. So an area can only support a certain number of species. And so a community or a government, all right, it can support a certain number of freedoms or privileges. But then when you keep expanding the freedoms and keep expanding the privileges, you can only do that at the expense of existing freedoms and privileges. So with all the freedom and civil rights that we've expanded over the past 70 years, this does come at the cost of other freedoms, such as freedom of association, freedom of who you rent your property to, and it's come at the cost of community. And it's come at a cost of greatly increased litigation, and people have therefore less trust in each other, so it's destroyed, reduced, let me not be hyperbolic, it has reduced social cohesion, social trust, it has reduced community, it has made families weaker uh you know 10 year old 12 year old whatever sure uh, you can do that do you want to have unlimited access uh, to uh, pornography over the internet delivered at high speed and increasingly higher quality yes uh you can have that uh you know you want an xbox player and sure you can have that and uh you can have you know microwave meals say or meals delivered uh, to your uh, tiny apartments if you can afford to have one what happens if that starts going away hmm? Because our regime doesn't really offer much for people. Uh, wait, wait, wait. Our regime doesn't offer much for people. All right. 95% uh, of people in the world would love to live in the room that uh, Kevin apparently abides in. All right. If you live in the United States or Canada or Australia, you enjoy a standard of living that uh, 90, 95% of the world would love to enjoy. And so this notion of regime uh, uh, as though it's just some kind of dictatorship that's imposed upon people 
in in an autocratic and, and vicious manner I, I just don't think is is true to reality compared to which other regimes right everything takes place within a context within a situation so if you're going to say that canada is a banana republic right then you have no idea what life is really like in el salvador honduras and real banana republics right people in real banana republics would love to live in canada they'd love the privileges that come with living in a first world industrialized nation however flawed that nation is i'd say normal people and you know we see this is one of the reasons why by all accounts our uh, peoples are becoming more and more insane you know measured quantified when joe biden's talking about it but what if that you know what if that was all that was carved out for us began to disappear it seems to be the, the belief of our elites that people are just going to take it and frankly I, i'm really uh not so sure and and I, I disagree with kevin here where does he get the idea that the belief of our elites is that people are just going to take it there's no such monolithic group as elites elites differ right there, there are two billionaires who donated to VDARE, right? There's, there are plenty of elites who are very anti-immigration. There are elites who are racist. There are elites who are sexist. There are elites who are homophobic. There are elites who are right-wing, right? There are elites who are centrist. There are elites who are not interested in, in politics very much. So there's no you know, cohesive, uniform group of elites. And, and who who in the elite says people are just going to take it? I, I think this is a straw man. About that. You know, people who have nothing or nearly nothing famously have nothing to lose. And Wait, if you're living in the United States of America or you're living in Canada or any first world industrialized nation, this, this idea that you have nothing to lose is absurd. You don't know how good you've got it. Go live in Honduras. Go live in Nigeria. Go live in Africa. Go live in India. Go live in Brazil. Right? I mean, people who have just incredible levels of prosperity and opportunity, right? And and to say that that these people with unprecedented access to government services, to government health care, to government housing, to living in a, a prosperous first world industrialized nation have nothing to lose strikes me as absurd let's go back to the chat uh, strategic adaptive meanplex said that's not but we learned nothing chat. from that oh yeah uh, i've never seen the idiot are we talking about cross was yes cross was version of the idiot uh, okay a little bit of the usual counselor hopium there he had less of it in his monday blog look as I've been saying about counselor for a long time, doomsayers only need to be right once. Of course, he largely. Now, that's that's a very pithy saying, but I couldn't. I wouldn't find a lot of benefit in reading a guy who's only right once. I mean, counselor's a doomsayer week in, week out, week in, week out. I mean, I couldn't be bothered to, to read him on a regular basis. I'm sure just by percentages, there'd have to be sometimes that he gets it right. We predicted what happened in 2007, 2008, but we learned nothing from that. Oh, yes. We learned nothing from 2007 and 2008. I'm not sure. We haven't repeated the problem. Now, we've, we've made some mistakes. We've got, once again, we've got government policy to direct loans towards people who would not otherwise be able to 
pay them back reliably. And so, yeah, we haven't learned sufficiently lessons from 2007-8. The whole housing crash was caused by government policy that incentivized, that forced banks to lend to people who had poor credit scores because these people were members of protected groups, right? So that was a disaster. But to say we've learned nothing from that, I think is a little bit hyperbolic. Let's have the richest and most powerful people in the world and let's give them more um, influence, power, and money because they only... And w where are these societies are doing it better? Right? You I can you just keep crapping on Canada, the United States, England, France, Germany, first world nations, just talk about th these governments are engaged in controlled demolition uh, without pointing out whether there are all these other societies who are doing things in such a more intelligent way. Like our elites are flawed, our governments are flawed, our politicians are flawed, just like I am, right? But you have to judge people within a context. Like who else is doing it better? I don't, don't judge governments and elites by some impossible standard of perfection. Judge them by what else is going on in the world at this time. You can't judge them by what's going on in the 16th century. You have to judge people at this time. Who else is doing things in a much smarter, more efficient, more effective way? They have, you know, they only want the best for us. Hello. Nobody only wants the best, right? Everybody's flawed. Everybody is shot filled with selfishness, with lust, with fear, with greed. Uh, elites are just like you and me, right? They are deeply flawed people with moral blind spots and ambitions and their hopes and dreams and their people they love, right? We're all flawed. It's not like there's this group out there, the elites who are just oppressing us and screwing us over because they're just so inherently malevolent and evil. Uh, Pete, uh, Bauman and Gamion. Uh, well, Drag Queens. <laughs> okay, so Drag Queen Story Hour, every time has been around for what, a couple of years now. Come on, Drag Queen Story Hour, it's, it's increasing literacy. Like it's literacy education. Who, who could be opposed to more literacy education? And does any of this seem planned to you? That just in the last month, Oh, every community in American Canada has to have drag queen story time. Oh, and family friendly, family friendly uh, drag performances involving uh, men who've made themselves <laughs> into characters, fiendish characters of, of women associating with small children. Uh, Don Willis says, I find it amusing that a giant like YouTube is afraid of a financially strapped elderly man who broadcasts from a seedy hotel room. Yes. Or again, to quote Chris Morris, my sordid little grief hole. That's from uh, what, the second? No, the first Alan Partridge uh, series. Hello to Half Galician. Nice to see you here. Uh, alrighty. Let's talk about the Ukraine. And I'm going to go again to the site Moon of Alabama. Moonofalabama.org. Today's column is called The U.S. is Moving Towards Escalation. The catastrophic economic consequences of the Western proxy war with Russia are setting in as a result of the high inflation caused by supply-side constraints due to sanctions, and far too much spending will ruin the middle classes of many countries. Those who did not wear blinders and who knew of the real economies of the West and Russia. This was very predictable and predicted. And the writer quotes himself, the U.S. is pushing its European allies to commit economic suicide by sanctioning everything Russia. The U.S. should be more careful. It's one of the biggest buyers of Russian oil and its aircraft industry depends on titanium from Russia. Russia surely knows who is trying to hurt it the most and it surely knows how and has the means to hurt back. The hurt has not at all reached its peak. 
this winter will be very difficult for Europe. Poor countries are even worse off. Many will experience hunger crises and riots. Uh, today, uh, Russian President Vladimir Putin held a speech at the Petersburg Economic Forum in which he said therein, the United States, having declared victory in the Cold War, declared themselves the messengers of God on Earth who have no obligations but only interests. They seem not to notice that powerful new centers have formed on the planet. The changes in the world are fundamental, pivotal, and inexorable. And it's a mistake to believe that you can sit out at the time of rapid changes, wait out that supposedly everything will return to normal, everything will be as before, it won't. There will be a deep degradation, degradation in Europe. Current elites are going to be replaced. Their wrong policies will lead to an increase in nationalist and extremist sentiments in European society. The world was systematically driven into a huge global crisis by the countries of the so-called... Right. Is he arguing that the Ukraine war points out the weaknesses of America and, and the strengths of, of other centers of power, such as Russia and China? That is an, that's an edgy and uh, minority opinion, which may, may be right. All right. I'm no great geopolitical thinker. G7. The EU has totally lost its political sovereignty. Its elites are dancing to someone else's tune, causing harm to their own population. So, Moon of Alabama makes a, a prediction. Escalation. Uh, British Prime Minister Boris Johnson, undoubtedly on... It's an interesting question. It, it, like, among the freest, most prosperous nation, nations in the world, why is there such an enormous appetite to be told that you're living in a dystopia? Like, why, why do people flock to to presentations of of you know first world nations as being just absolutely dystopian and and the world's coming to an end and there's there's this uh, planned demolition going on all around you why why is there such a a hunger right for, for believing the worst about the, the the people around you believing the worst about politicians the elites Right, it's not like this this group of people, politicians or elites, who are just inherently evil. They're just human beings. All right, I don't believe in the devil hypothesis. I don't believe in calling people devils. Right, they're people who have worked the system, who've been effective in the system, and who respond to incentives, just like you and I are people who are less effective at working the system, and haven't as cannily responded to incentives. Order. Uh, order of Biden appeared in Kiev to lobby for, uh, sorry, Kiev to lobby for more war, just as he did at the end of March when he told Ukraine's President Zelensky to ditch the negotiations with Russia. This is why I fear that Michael Brenner is right and that Biden will escalate the war by attacking somewhere else. And where else might that be? Over the past year, the U.S. attempted to foment Biden-style regime changes in Belarus and Kazakhstan. Both were foiled. The latter was with the connivance of Turkey, which deployed a contingent of Bashi bazooks from the stock of Syrian jihadis it keeps on call in Idlib to be deployed as President Erdogan did more successfully in Libya and Azerbaijan. There remains one conceivable sensitive target, Syria. There, the Israelis have become increasingly audacious in goading the Russians by airstrikes against Syrian infrastructure as well as military facilities. Now we see signs that Moscow's tolerance is wearing thin, suggesting that further provocations could spark retaliation, which Washington could then exploit to ratchet up tensions to what avail? Not obvious, unless the ultras in the Biden administration are... Okay, so I don't like perspectives that, that say, oh, Russia is just evil. Like, Russia is just invading Ukraine for, for no good reason, just to be evil. And I, I don't like perspectives that... Uh attribute American policy to just being perfidious and evil, right? There are two nations that are locked in an iron cage together, maneuvering for advantage, all right? We're all locked in this iron cage. And it's not like this certain group of people in the iron cage are just the good guys and this other people in the iron cage are just the bad guys. Russia and America are, are fighting for 
advantage in uh, difficult situations, but uh, I think it's just hyperbolic to call either side evil. I mean, I can understand why one would, I just don't find it as useful as just trying to understand the incentives that lead different nations or individuals to react as they do. We're looking for the kind of direct confrontation that they've avoided in Ukraine until now. Another. Yeah, the United States is not the boss. The UN is not the boss. Russia is not the boss. China is not the boss. The situation is the boss. Right? We all operate within a situation and we all have to respond to a situation and if you're effective you are responding effectively to the situation that you're in you're recognizing reality if you're not recognizing reality then you will experience frequent humiliation if you're not experiencing frequent humiliation and may i be so grandstanding may i be so prideful is to to say that i experienced relatively little humiliation over the past six years. I just don't recall humiliation being a dominant theme in my life. Now, that may all change in five minutes, right? I may just be covered with humiliation. But I think I've done a reasonably, I've done an improved job at reading reality over the past six years. And as a result, I've experienced a considerable diminishment in the amount of humiliation that I suffer. So prior to about six years ago, prior to entering 12-step uh, programs like Under Owners Anonymous, Debtors Anonymous, Financial Under Owners Anonymous, uh, Al-Anon, Adult Children of Alcoholics, uh, other 12-step programs. Like prior to that, much of my life was humiliation. I, I kind of walked around with a frequent feeling of humiliation. Uh, once I started getting emotionally sober in 2015, 2016, my experience is that humiliation considerably diminished because... I think my, my perception of my experience is that I became more aware of reality, meaning where do I stop? Where do other people begin? What is my appropriate role in this situation? So in some situations, I am called to be the leader. I am leading my own show. So it is appropriate for me to lead out on my own show and to give my opinions on my own show. It's not appropriate for me to lead out and give my opinions almost anywhere else, right? This is, this is like the one area where I lead out and I give my opinions. Other than that, I, I save my opinions for some close friends and uh, a few social circumstances where appropriate, I might start uh, sharing my opinions, but I'm not going out for, from this show and just taking charge and, and directing people because obviously anyone would say like, who the hell are you 40 to tell anybody what to do? And if I'm emotionally sober, I'd recognize, yeah, that's right. I'm not really someone who should be going out trying to take charge of anything. And instead, in particularly in my volunteer roles, I just take direction. And in other roles in my life, I just take direction from people who are more accomplished and more powerful and better situated than I am. Even grimmer prospect would be a contrived test of wills with China. Already we see growing evidence of that in the bellicose rhetoric of American leaders from U.S. President Joe Biden on down. I expect airstrikes like last week's attack on the airport of Damascus to intensify with the hope of diverting Russian attention from the Ukraine. Russia is, of course, 100 percent prepared for that. But U.S. miscalculations that led to this are many. And I do not expect that tendency to change any time soon. And he goes on to recommend a video about the causes and consequences of the Ukraine war by Professor John Mearsheimer. From Wikipedia, Opposmatism. Perhaps most commonly known in the context of warning coloration describes a family of anti-predator adaptations where a warning signal oh, is associated is with the 
to Archibald's alleged introduction of a Hawaiian cultural practice called oh, oh this is good. Oh, oh, no. I mean, this is this I is believe. this is a classic Kevin Michael bit. Uh, Kevin Michael Grace bit. This is this is Kevin at his best. You can you can see him come alive, and uh, I, I enjoy it. You'll enjoy this as much as he is. But here's a uh, story. This is great. From, uh, CBC. AFN National Chief Under Investigation Over Bullying Harassment Allegations. Now, the AFN is the Assembly of First Nations. Now, you might find this difficult to believe, but some decades ago, the Canadian government decided that it had to have a national Indian organization. Does Luke have any criticisms of the U.S. leadership, or does he believe we are living in the best of all possible worlds? What show are you watching? I, I've just talked about how I think our intervention in Ukraine is disastrous. I, I mentioned that we grossly underestimated inflation. I talked about how by expanding civil rights legislation, we have diminished communities. We have taken away original freedoms. We've essentially superseded our original constitution. All right. We have weakened our social fabric. We have reduced social cohesion and social trust by letting in so many immigrants. We have diminished the quality of life for Americans. We have reduced wage rates. Those are just the criticisms I've made on this show. So how on earth do you come up with the idea, does Luke have any criticisms of the U.S. leadership? Right? I made 10 substantial criticisms of the U.S. government on this show just tonight. Right? So how on earth do you, do, you, do you come up with the idea that I believe we live in the best of all possible worlds? I just don't think it's dystopia. I just don't think we're in a banana republic. I, I don't think we're, we're being governed by the devil. I think we're being governed by flawed people who make some good decisions and a lot of terrible decisions and some occasional great decisions and a lot of mediocre decisions, just like you and just like me. One thing I do know is love is the answer. And so it created that. Uh, it is funded by the federal government. So the federal government pays a great deal of money in, for an organization which does nothing but mobile. Luke is a company man. He goes along to get along. Yes, that, I just made 10 politically incorrect criticisms of the United States government, United States policy. So how on earth d does that make me a, a company man? You just don't want to hear it. You want to dismiss things I say by deriding, oh, 40 lives in the delusion that this is all the... Uh, you know, the greatest possible world that we could possibly be in, and uh, 40 doesn't want to rock the boat. I've been doing distant streams for six years with my face on it, with my real name behind it, while you, you're the mighty warrior using a fake name in the chat. Wow, you're the real truth teller, bro. You're the real courageous man among us, right? Wow, I really look up to you. Look at the, the huevos on you, the balls on you using a fake name in the chat, but, but you're the real truth teller. And I'm just a company man, right? I'm just uh, someone who lives in, in delusion, right? I just made 10 substantial criticisms of U.S. government policy, criticisms that are politically incorrect, but uh, I'm just a company man who lives in delusion. I got it. But hey, you're the real truth teller. Thank you. Thank you for your contributions. You're incredibly brave, man. You are so brave mobilize against the government. I'm looking at a picture here of Assembly of First Nations National Chief Roseanne Archibald. And guess what? She's more. I've never heard Luke criticize the COVID response in the last two years. I've had criticisms, but guess what? My criticisms have been muted 
because I just don't feel like I have a handle on it, right? I'm not sitting here self-assured like your pundits who tell you, oh, all our problems because of this group or that group. I think COVID has posed a significant risk to the health of many of our fellow citizens, particularly those over 60 and those with the, with what is it called, comorbidities. And I think that some of the government intervention was, was you know, way overstepping, was, was ridiculous, such as, oh, you couldn't sell, in, in Michigan, the Michigan governor said, oh, you can't sell gardening uh, supplies because that might lead people to engage in, in social interactions. I d don't have a strong opinion on requiring uh, vaccination. I'm not for it. I'm not opposed to it. So I'm not here telling you that the government's just been absolutely evil or absolutely great with regard to COVID. My perception is that they've done a better than average job, right? So my perception is C plus, B minus, right? That, that's my general perspective on government response to COVID. But I haven't been stating all sorts of definitive criticisms because I, I don't feel certain enough. I've kind of gone a middle road. Don't automatically accept what the CDC and Tony Fauci says. I've been quite open to the lab leak hypothesis. I've been open to dissident critiques. I like dissident critiques. We need dissident critiques. But dissidents, I notice because I do a dissident stream, a lot of dissidents automatically assume that a dissident critique is true and that the mainstream conventional elite government perspective is automatically false. But wisdom does not reside with one group, right? It's not like elites are always right or elites are always wrong. It's not like dissidents are always right or dissidents are always wrong. Sometimes the dissidents are right. Sometimes the normies are right. Sometimes the elites are right. Sometimes the working class is right. Sometimes Jews have a good perspective. Sometimes Christians have a better perspective. Right? Sometimes a group is good at this and they suck at that. So I don't see, don't see black and white. They're just, oh, this group's evil. This group's righteous. Obese. She wears problem glasses and she has purple hair, which is not a good look for a woman in what I would imagine to be her 50s. The national chief of the country's most influential First Nations organization is under pressure to step aside as she faces an external investigation over bullying and harassment allegations from four upper staff members. In a statement issued Thursday, the AFN confirmed it received a number of complaints last month against Archibald and determined the findings supported further inquiry by an external investigator. Archibald says she welcomes the investigation and called for a forensic audit. She welcomes the In her the statement, Archibald claimed she had never had a human resources complaint lodged against her <laughs> prior to work at AFN. This is the second time that I've endured a smear campaign as a result of my relentless pursuit of the truth. I hope people can see the toxic pattern at the AFN. Archibald alleges the four staff members filed complaints against her after they tried to secure $1 million in contract payouts. The background deals, the large payouts to staff, and other documented incidents of corruption and collusion have caused us to lose sight of our shared goal, to fight for the collective rights of more than 900,000 indigenous people living in more than 600 First Nations. I wish I, wish I could read the news with the beautiful lilt and, and rhythm and authority and gravitas. I'll never have Kevin Michael Grace's gravitas. I'll never be after... Uh, read as beautifully as this man reads. He's a, he's a national treasure, even though he's Canadian. There's community cities and towns across, wait for it, Turtle Island. The whistleblower mechanism the staff used to file complaints against Archibald was created last year following a separate bullying and harassment investigation of her while she was Ontario Regional Chief. The new complaints 
include objections to Archibald's alleged introduction of a Hawaiian cultural practice called ho, hoko ono popono, during weekly meetings. Again, I'm not making this up. The complaints claim that the practice sees Archibald recite prayers for staff members healing or in response to their errors and say that she asked them to share their childhood traumas. Boy, that's not going to lead to any problems. Nope, not a bit of it. Multiple sources who spoke to CBC News and some staff members complained this practice served to read. Come on, guys. This is a safe place to share your childhood traumas. Traumatize them. The sources spoke in the condition they not be named because they fear reprisals. Archibald's counsel, Aaron Detler, told the CBC he's unaware of any Hawaiian cultural practices employed by the National Chief or of her asking people to reveal childhood traumas. He said he's aware Archibald believes strongly in indigenous-based healing. The four staff members who made the complaints are on paid leave. Press one if you believe in indigenous-based healing. Of course they are. Sources said the problems at the AFN office in Ottawa began shortly after Archibald took office last summer. They described the workplace as toxic and said staff dread coming to work each day. The same sources who have direct knowledge of the workings of the National Chief's office said staff claimed they've been yelled at by the National Chief and reduced to tears by her criticism. Oh, no, this is not the type of behavior I'd expect at a First Nations organization. All right, remember this. These First Nation organizations, like other government-funded minority organizations, are the government funding minorities to defecate on the government the government's going to subsidize them to defecate on laponius's front step right why are there crack addicts defecating on laponius's front step because the government is paying for it but they have your best they have your, they have, they have the best of intentions look they're flawed they make mistakes look who hasn't funded some angry First Nations or minority organization to, to go defecate on Laponius's front step. I think we, we've, all, we've all made that mistake. Like, who among us hasn't showered with his own daughter? Of their work. Three sources said Archibald still has not signed her employment contract and has demanded she be paid the same salary as the prime minister. <laughs> and she wants to uh, dissolve the AFN secretariat, the administrative and operational... Okay. <laughs> That's like a classic Kevin Michael Gray story. He finds them. Wow. Pawan girl. <laughs> now that one was too expensive. I, I wish I could find my Richard Nixon doll because now they have that Frost Nixon debate. Yes. And I, I do have a Richard Nixon doll. Uh-huh. Uh huh. I don't. I, now I'm calling him a doll, but. Um, <laughs> He's somewhere, but I, I haven't even started working with them on the road because uh, I'm not very good at it yet. No, no. If you use the Nixon doll, you have to hold him, hold his arms up and have him say, I am not a doll. <laughs> and then you'll, you know what will happen then? Oddly enough, as in Rosemary Woods land, you'll be greeted by 17 and a half minutes of silence. <laughs> Man, that impression was, I would say that's about equal to Frank Langella's. <laughs> I thought it was pretty good. No, I'm, I'm, no, I'm serious. Thank you. Frank Langella sucks. <laughs> <laughs> what do you like to do during the days in San Fran to unwind? Do you I go? I just work on my ventriloquism. Oh, that, how's that going, Norm? It's going great, man. I, I thought Rusty and I would do a little holiday song for you. Oh, you're kidding me. Let me kick back here and put my feet up in front of the fire, you and Rusty. Which puppet is Rusty? Refresh me. Rusty's just my friend. You know, I, I'm having a lot of trouble with my uh, cranky old man. Uh, mm -hmm. 
I don't know if you remember old Alec Majerison, the virulent anti-Semite. Yeah, sure, I remember. What are you kidding me? I have a I have a plaque commemorating my first meeting. I'm trying to get I'm trying to get rid of that guy because you know you know he's a Holocaust denier. That's no secret. <laughs> he's an enthusiastic Holocaust denier, <laughs> and I've had it up to here with this character. You know, the man is <laughs> just a waste of wood. But I don't know what to do. One of my Jewish friends suggested that, uh, you know, why don't I just throw them in a fire and burn them? But I say two wrongs don't make a right. (laughs) Gotta go. (laughs) But anyway, we're not here to talk about that. Uh, Let me get Rusty out here. Rusty. Rusty, say hello to Dennis. Hey, Dennis. Yeah, two wrongs don't make a right. So that's no excuse for burning your Holocaust-denying puppet. That's it. Have a good Shabbos. Take care. Good night. Goodbye. God bless.